and welcome to this week's Rugby League Back Chat. It's been a busy old week in the world of Rugby League, so plenty for us to get stuck into today. I'll introduce you to our three guests first, the publisher of League Weekly, Danny Lockwood, John Davidson, a freelance Rugby League reporter, and League Express feature writer, Richard Delariviere. Thanks for joining us, lads. I want to get stuck in first and foremost to Wigan, because it's been a funny old week for them as well they got the points back after the salary cap punishment was relaxed after the independent tribunal but then suffered a defeat a rather disappointing defeat <laughs> late on uh, in the week to Huddersfield Danny I want to start with you first let's go to the the actual fact that they've got the two points back yeah. uh, the whole procedure's been thorough long-winded however you want to describe it what, what are your thoughts on the fact that they've actually got the points back I think that was the right call Personally, I think that uh, once you dig into the detail of the salary cap and all of the intricacies of it, it is not as straightforward as we'd all like to think it is. Mm -hmm. I think it's clear that there's a technical, being a technical breach, I think that one of the problems that Wigan had is that they were a little bit slow in, in how they played along with the inquiry into it. That notwithstanding, you know, and given how historic this is and how long it's taken to come to light. I think it's, I think one, that's a shame and it doesn't reflect well on our administration of the salary cap. Mm -hmm. But two, I, I don't think it would have been proportionate to really impact on uh, this this season's league table, but the way that Wigan's <laughs> are playing, <laughs> it might not anyway. Uh, and, and it's a, at least some light relief out of a really pretty blessed month for them when uh, nothing much has gone right. John, I mean, they've got the points back. Does it not look a little bit silly now that the points were taken off and then they're giving them back? Does it not just make it, as, as a sport, look a little bit daft? Yeah, I agree. I think um, what was the breach was around £15,000, £17,000. Not really massive, and I think it was uh, accidental. It wasn't sustained. It was not like they had a second set of books or anything like that. So giving, taking the points and giving them back, you know, in a matter of a couple of weeks, it isn't a good look for the sport. Um, but I think we, as as Danny said, we do need to look at the salary cap and how it's how it's looked at, how it's audited, because it's supposed to be a live salary cap, but there doesn't seem to be much scrutiny on what clubs are actually doing. Well, Richard, Karen Morehouse um, at the RFL has spoke about this and contemplated whether it should be a bit more black and white. If if you do break the salary cap, there is a fixed penalty. Can we do that? Is that realistic? Is, is that something the sport should look at? Well, if you compare what they've done to, say, Cronulla Sharks, it doesn't even begin to compare. I mean, that's a very, very <coughs> serious breach, what they did. I mean, they set up a new company to pay to pay players through that. I mean, Wigan, it's just not much more than an admin error, really, when you when you compare the amount. So it's... No, I think, I think that would be a bit harsh. I, I'm, I'm glad they got the points back, but it is a bit of a PR disaster, like you say. And, and I think when, them, especially when he was right at the start of the season, yeah. when they took it off them. And, and I think also the fact that it's Wigan, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, given how lively uh, yeah, a sport yeah. we have and how, how much people like to jump up and down on the big boys, yeah. you know, Wigan particularly leads as well. Um, I think there was a little bit of tub thumping going on in that respect. Mm. I, you know, I think you do have to have a statutory system which is open to redress, and this is what's happened there. So I think the system has worked. Mm -hmm. um, it, it probably gave some Wigan fans a nervous few weeks while we're waiting to hear if they get it back. But, you know, OK, we're done. We move on. We learn lessons. That said, though, it's still a salary cap breach, John. So, end of the day, they broke the laws, did they not? Surely they should be put... Whether it should be a point, I, well, I don't know. But it does seem to me that if you break the salary cap, you, you've committed a crime. Yeah, I, th I think you, you find them. I think... The interesting thing is also, is it the third breach that they've had in sort of 10, 12 years? I mean, that's something that you look, if you have a repeated offender, then I think yeah. you come in, look, if you go over the cap next year or in the next 
five years, it's an automatic points deduction, whether it be an admin or not, because obviously they have had issues before and that to me is quite worrying. I mean, you look, Rich mentioned Cronulla, I mean, you look at say Melbourne who were systematic rewarding since then, they've you know played to the line as close as could be and that's how it should be because they had premiership stripped off them. It, would it not help if we did have some transparency though? Because uh, one thing the sport lacks generally is transparency. Well, yeah, but I, I don't know how you affect that. You know, I th- I th- I'm sure if we all sat over Karen Morehouse's shoulder at Red Hall mm-hmm. and, uh, and looked at it, we'd see just how complicated and difficult it is. Uh, and so, I, you know, we've wrapped it up. I think we move on. I think if we can get caught doing it again, accidentally mm-hmm. or not, then, you know, it's a suspended sentence. It isn't. Doesn't been absolutely wiped out, mm-hmm. you know. They're on notice, so and I think that that personally, I think that's fair. As you alluded to, it's probably for the best that they did get the points back because they don't look capable of earning <laughs> many points themselves well, at the minute, Richard. They could have played till three in the morning. I don't think they'd have beaten Huddersfield. That was uh, was appalling. Um, I'll tell you what, what. One thing that is the case is that they've lost a lot of very good players and a very good coach in recent years, and. That they, they've got the kids coming through their system to to offset a lot of those losses and it doesn't hurt them as much as it might hurt other clubs, but it's caught up with them now. Um, I was a little bit bored the other day, so I came up with a team of ex-Wigan players who are going around at the moment and I think they would probably beat the current Wigan team. So, Tompkins, Charnley, Tompkins, Gelling, Tierney, Hampshire, Smith, Taylor, McIlorum, Dudson, Bateman, Hugh, Sutton. I think they'd probably oh, beat the current Wigan team. Yeah, Sean, Sean Wayne coaching They've got to be careful with the salary. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, so that might be a bit over <laughs> the cap, yeah, but yeah. They, they've lost them for whatever reason. They've lost very good players. Some of them they've let go. Some of them, some of those players have maybe gone, and the club haven't wanted them to go. But mm-hmm. I remember quite a few years ago when Leeds were really dominating, they would often let good players go. But I don't think there was the quality among the other teams to take advantage of that. And Le- Leeds had a habit of letting a few good players go, but still winning the trophies. I think there's too many good teams now that have that have overtaken yeah, Wigan, I, I, and if they yeah. don't keep losing quality, it has to catch up with you. I think John Bateman was a massive loss to them, uh, probably yeah. more so than Sam Tompkins, because I think Zach Hardacre was their best yeah, performer was good, the other night. Yeah. I thought he was very good, and I think he'll grow into it. Uh, and um, Bateman, to me, just typified that that sort of Sean Wayne-like mongrel spirit that Wigan had, and and in I think in previous seasons, especially being at home at the uh, at the DW, they would have found a way to scrap the way past a very good Huddersfield side, a much improved Huddersfield side, by the way. But I, I just, I noted that missing. I, I thought that Sean O'Loughlin, f- for a guy as iconic and as talismanic as he is, just was way off it. And, and I, I, you know, you'd like to think, uh, for the sake of the comp, that it is a blip, that they'll find the way out. They've got enough class and they've got enough experience for all the kids. They've still got a lot of quality in there. And, and I think that, it, you know, Adrian Lamb says he was puzzled by it. I think a lot of people will be. I think we'll see a, a, a comeback from that. The, the issue is, John, they've lost John Bateman, they've lost Ryan Sutton, Sam Tompkins has gone. The talk is increasingly that George Williams is yeah. off to the NRL at the end of the season. And there's uncertainty over the coach because Sean Edwards doesn't seem very committed to this coaching gig that we all thought he was supposed to be taking next year. So would it would it be going too far to say this is a club that has major issues at the minute? Is that a bit too extreme so early on in the year? I, I think they definitely have issues. I think, um, you know, the, the talk seems to be that, that the owners are cutting back on the, the, the off-field staff and the resources that the coaches have. That's why Sean Wayne decided to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, I think Sean Edwards, whether he's wavering or not, maybe he, he's realising what he will, the hand he'll be dealt next year in terms of signings, in terms of off-field staff. I think he's publicly said he wanted 
you know, two experienced assistant coaches when Sean Wayne only really had the one uh, previously. So there are there are definitely issues. I think the George Williams one is a really interesting one because he's a, a Wigan junior, come through the system. Um, I think they are getting a transfer fee, so you can look at it as smart business, but the supporters will not be happy. And I think they'll expect a big signing to, to replace someone, you know, an England international, uh, one of the best halfbacks in the comp. And if you really, to get to the nitty gritty, if you look at the crowds, the crowds have gone down uh, for whatever, and gone down quite quite dramatically over the years, which naturally is why they might be needing to cut down on, on resources. So what, why, Richard, do you think that's the case? And, and more to the fact, what can we can do to, to try and turn that around? Because there was the talk, obviously, that people didn't like the way Sean Wayne played rugby. It was very effective. Defensively, Wigan was super, but that was the claim that it, it wasn't always the greatest to watch. Well, Adrian Lan said he was going to bring, you know, flair and excitement. I thought Danny summed up well in his paper yesterday. You said that the number of people have got watching them are dwindling and those that are watching them are booing them. Mm. I mean, yeah, it wasn't good, was it? Ten, the, the, ten, down to 10,000 mil. Yeah, I mean, the the Thursday night kickoffs yeah. are always an issue. Mm. You're going to have that. It's a school night at this time of year for kids. Um, I, I, I think, and I know what you mean about the Sean Wayne situation in terms of the type of rugby played. Listen, fans will support winning teams. That, that's that's the bottom line on that one. But why know. did the crowds go down then? Well, you've, you, there are a lot, there are a lot of uh, factors at play here. And, and, and when the game was... Uh, I don't know what the weather was like in Wigan the other night. Um, I think there is a general malaise when it comes to attendance as across the sport. Mm. This isn't specific to Wigan, by the way. It's not specific and I know to Rob Elson, And I know Rob Elson, was, I don't know, you'll find other sports where they're, they're crying about how successful it is. But I think it was interesting to see Rob Elson um, pumping out the fact that Sky viewing figures are up significantly mm -hmm. the, fir the first sort of four weeks or the first few weeks of the season. Well... There was a bit of there's a reason for that as well because of course we you know they they top loaded the actual fixtures for the first two or three weeks so that you were getting big clashes mm -hmm. so that you're going to get a good viewership you know so, so as much as you can cheer that I don't think the clubs make a single penny out of the fact that Sky get more viewers what they get it from is bodies through the gate that is a problem that is something that I understood Rob Elson came into this sport to address so far. And it's only early days, of course. Um, not so good. Mm -hmm. So should should we worried? Should Wigan be worried about the season? Because ultimately, Warrington had a slow start to last year. Well, but, I mean, like last, I think I was on back chat last June or July, and Wigan were in the massive in the middle of an absolutely massive crisis. Wayne had said he was leaving. They were getting thrashed by everybody. And two, three months <coughs> later, they they won the grand final. No, they shouldn't be worried at all. Um, Maurice Lindsay last week was saying that them and Leeds will definitely get into the five. I don't agree with that, but I don't think it's the end of the world if, if, if you know if Wigan were to have one or two seasons where they just have to rebuild and replace some of those players that I mentioned. I don't think it's the end of the world. They're hardly going to be sort of bottom two or three. Well, you they're, in a, they're in a situation like yeah. Leeds, aren't they? Mm. Well, let's move on to Leeds. I, what is going on there? They they've just they can't they can't stop conceding points. They they look like they started games really well. Started really well against Wakefield. Started really well against Hull. Comprehensively beat, John. What, what's your take on what's going on at the Rhinos right now? I think really they've put off a rebuilding phase that they've never had for quite some time. I mean, I think since two thousand four, they've won however many grand finals and titles. They've been the most successful club in in England, and I think the two thousand seven grand final was a bit of a surprise, a bit of a going against the grain, and they've sort of probably held on to a lot of players who are too old. You know, they haven't had a clean out. They've tried to sort of address by throwing a, a load of money at three players, but I think the issues are much more systemic there. 
Uh, I think David Ferner needs a lot more time. And the worrying thing is just a lack of resilience that they, you know, their defence is, is is horrible. And also I think that the halves partnership isn't one that's that's going to work mm. personally. So there are big things to solve there. Well, it's inter- interesting that you say that about the Leeds halves and about Leeds throwing a load of money, you know, the, the, the big three that they've brought over from the NRL. I, I just wonder now with the benefit of hindsight and especially considering Hull KR's victory against Wakefield, just how much uh, Gary Hetherington might wish he'd tried to keep Danny Maguire on for the extra two years. Because um, Maguire is, you know, the fulcrum of everything good uh, at at Hull KR. Based also around the fact that he's got probably one of the shrewdest coaches in the game right there. But uh, but you look at that Leeds midfield, it it didn't function at all for me last year. So far, I know it's early days, it, it hasn't shown encouraging signs. And yet, the value of keeping someone who is so leads drying us through and through like Danny Maguire was, and probably at heart still is, just, I don't think, can be uh, overstated. Yeah. Well, there's Mitch Garbutt as well. I mean, they, they, you know, I, I would imagine David Ferner would have turned up at Leeds looking forward to working with him mm-hmm. and then the discovery he's gone to Hull KR. I, I think the thing on yeah. Maguire, I mean, he's like a Jonathan Thurston or a Cooper Cronk. They just get better yeah. with age, you know, that yeah. halfback. But there's you know, so few good halfbacks exactly. around. Exactly. We, well, we, the, the, the Super League you know, doesn't produce top quality halfbacks. Does it purely come down to recruitment, Danny? Because over the years, you mentioned Danny Maguire. If you look at last season, a lot of people are saying there were a lot of players in that squad that weren't Leeds Rhinos players. Well, I don't think they were talking about Ryan Hall and Joel Moon yeah. when when they lift. Mitch Garbutt goes. Yeah. He's been phenomenal at Hull KR. Jimmy Kynost has, has done okay as well. The players they've brought in haven't set the world alight yet. The, you know, Leeds, Leeds kind of identified four or five years ago that the following generation of players that were going to be the next Beryl and Maguire, that were going to mm. replace Simfield. And we're talking about players like Liam Sutcliffe and Stevie Ward. You know, Jordan Lilly. You know, uh, yeah. uh, was, and, and there are a lot of these lads who were talented, mm. but that doesn't always translate into superstardom, you know, which, you know, Leeds got lucky, very much like Manchester United got lucky with their class of 92. Mm-hmm. You, you can't plan for those things, you know. They are organic. There is a, you know, there's a bit of stardust sprinkled from above. And right now that is missing from what the what the Leeds, Leeds, Leeds always recruited Leeds. sensibly though they, they had that one blip where they signed Mullins and Clyde and that went horribly wrong and that reminds me now of the, the players they've signed this year they've brought big names in but just like back then in 2001 they've recruited from a position of weakness and you know they were a bottom four team last year you can't just expect to have you know, two or three star players in the NRL and expect to become a top four team. I remember they had a terrible year in 96 and they actually signed a lot of very average looking players from teams like Sheffield and Keighley and it worked. And I think maybe they, they should have perhaps gone for a few grafters and they'd probably be defending a I lot think, better. I think that some of the expectation is a bit unrealistic. You can't, in a salary cap sport, and I think the competition is a lot yeah. more even now, it was you can't expect to be in a final every year or you shouldn't. You look at the, the rise yeah. of Hull, yeah. the last few years, the rise of Wakefield, Catalans are spending in a huge amounts of money. There's Le- going to be yeah. a big club that slips down. Leeds and Wigan have both overachieved so much. Yeah. They, they, they can't expect to have another decade like they've, they've, they've both had. Danny, they play London this week. It's a big game, isn't it, all of a sudden? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's, uh, it's much needed relief, I think. But I tell you what, and I don't know if we're going to come down to it later, but I really, really, really put a lot on the shoulders of coaches. Tim mm. Sheens, I've mentioned at OKR, I think, what Ian Watson achieves week in week out with Salford is incredible mm-hmm. and Danny Ward the same at London so I don't think London have a lot of consecutive wins in them I think their resources are too thin and too strapped for that but I think that they can identify games 
where they're thinking we're going here with a scrapping chance. Well, they wouldn't have got to St Helens thinking they had a chance, but will will they get Headingley? Well, well, that's what I'm saying. You know, if it ain't there week in week out, can Danny Ward get them up? Yes, we've seen that he did the week before against Wigan. So, um, you know, I, 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 I still think that great leaders and great coaches are invaluable in this spot and I don't think we've got as many as we'd like to think. Thanks Danny. Well plenty more for us to speak about during the last two parts of this week's Rugby League Batch. Up to up next I should say. The 1895 Cup played after the Challenge Cup final. What do we think about that? We'll find out next on Rugby League Batch. Welcome back to this week's Rugby League Back Chat. On the agenda in this part, we're going to start by talking about the 1895 Cup because, gents, the first round has now taken place. We know who'll be playing who on the road to Wembley for the teams outside of Super League. Well, they can get there in the Challenge Cup, really, can't they? But realistically, this is the best chance. What has come to light is the fact that it's going to take place, the final, after the Challenge Cup final. Now, everyone, I think, naturally thought this was going to be a curtain raiser, but seemingly not. Richard, what, what's your take on the fact that it's been played after the Challenge Cup final and not before it. It's a bit of a strange one, isn't it? Mm. Um, I'm not 100% sure what the reasons are. I do remember in 97 when we had the Silk Cup plate between Hulkinson Rovers and Hunslet. That was before and that worked. It just worked really well. There were a lot of people in the ground when that game took place and Stanley Jean scored a hat-trick. I remember it pretty well. Uh, and it just, it, it, it was such a good occasion on its own. And then for some reason it got scrapped. 20 odd years later, we've bought something similar back. It's really exciting. You know, my team, Workington, might get to Wembley. I remember going to Hunslet in the quarterfinal in 97 because it was like the road to Wembley. And it is very exciting for, for clubs who are going to be in it. But that is the only fly in the ointment. It's, it's whatever the reason is, it's a bizarre one because after the Challenge Cup final, you'll have the lap of honour, you'll have everything, and supporters will be leaving. And I think there'll just be a lot fewer people in the ground to watch the 1895 Cup final. Danny, it does seem like a, a an odd decision. I'm not sure. It, listen, I think we'll find out, depending how well it works. Uh, I've, I'm, I'm ambivalent about it. Um, I, I can, I can understand some of the rationales behind it, because I think if uh, you know, with respect to what '97 was it? Yeah. If my memory must be going. Um, you know, I do think you want a decent crowd. And let's face it, this is not about whether the crowd's in before or after. It's about getting bums on seats yeah. at Wembley. For whatever. Now, if we have um, if we had another water splash, if we had you know the, remember the Le- the downpour in the Leeds final a couple of years back, if you've already played a full on game, because we're not talking about the under 11s here, we're talking about you know 26 big pieces of beef potentially tearing up your landmark surface ahead of the big game. Mm-hmm. I don't think we want that. I think we want you know we want the spectacle as pristine as it can be of the Challenge Cup final. Playing it afterwards, I get the point about a lot of people will head home, a lot will. But this is Wembley weekend and a lot don't. So I think there will still be a good crowd in there. And I just want, you know, I just want those numbers to be up crucially, no matter when or why they play it before or after. Will it affect the crowd though, John? Because at the end of the day, a half five kickoff 
that makes it harder on public transport for the people watching that game to to get back and get a train back up north. Is is, yeah. is that not an issue that needs to be thought about? I think it is. I think you've got to have it as a curtain raiser. I think it's you know obviously there's there's broadcasters to take it and, and what Wembley want, but I think it's not a good decision. You, you see the curtain raisers, uh, World Cup final 2017, the, the women played before the men, so you've guaranteed a crowd for, for the women. And you look as soon as full time's played, no matter what, everyone basically leaves. Most people don't stay these days for the trophy no. celebration. We saw that at the World Cup Challenge um, with the Roosters and Wigan a couple of weeks ago. So, yeah, I, I think at the end of the actual Challenge Cup final, there's probably going to be maybe five. 10,000 tops, which well, isn't see, a good look. You see with the Magic Weekend, each day tends to end with yeah. the big fixture. So you'll, you know, you'll have a Hull derby at the end yeah. or a Wigan Saints derby at the end and you, you, you build up to it and it works. So, but, you know, I, it, it's the only negative for me. I'm very excited about having an 1895 competition. Yeah. I hope it's here to Absolutely. stay. Absolutely. I think most people were quite positive, gave yeah. it the big approval when it first came in because we do need to find ways to... Mm. Um, build up the crowd at Wembley as we saw yeah. last year but I th- there are reasons why it's it's had to be played after a lot out of the RFL's control it'll be the broadcasters but certainly Wembley were keen to play it afterwards there's also the Stephen Mullaney trophy final and all of that history it would be unfair to nudge that to one side I think oh, everyone yeah. would agree with that but I, I guess the question now is how it will actually affect the crowd how it how it will affect the day because will the it's not going to look great, is it, if there's only 10,000 people in Wembley watching the first instalment well, of the 1895 It depends final. who gets there, doesn't it? Mm. I, mean, I mean, if you've, if, you know, you could end up with a couple of, you know, not well-supported clubs who are only going to take 1,000 fans between them. Well, Danny, who would you be could, the best you could end to up with fa- You could end up with Featherson and Halifax, who you probably think yeah. will take ten or 15,000 between If them, it's two clubs you know? with a bit of a Wembley history recently, like those two, or Lee. Or Bra- Bradford um, Bulls, you get course, Bradford yeah. there, yeah. all of a sudden, you know, that, that ground will still be half full yeah. because that will be a big day out and a big weekend now. Mm. I would like to see it kick off a little bit earlier, five mm. o'clock-ish maybe, you know, but perhaps they couldn't uh, mess around with the Wembley kick-off time. But, but even so, I think it will be critical who gets there. Who we're looking at as getting to the final? Who, who, who for you catches the eye? It's been an interesting championship season so far, John. Yeah, it's it's very unpredictable, isn't it? I mean, I think I think Bradford, uh, as Danny said, if they got there, they would be very well supported. I think Featherstone are really um, impressing under their new coach. Um, you know, playing really well. I think Lee are another team that um, you know got a decent fan base and also doing quite well under John yeah. Duffy. So York. Well, York would have gone yeah, top, York wouldn't they, well. if they'd, if yeah. they'd beaten Rochdale by a few points? If the game had been played. Yeah. But that's yeah. a different matter. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, you know, who would have thought? Well, so they, were, they, they, they were the best I teams. think we all agree there's plenty to be enthused about mm. with it, isn't there? You know, and so, um, as I say, I'm, I'm in a perfect world, but it ain't the perfect world. So I'd just like, you know, I'd like to wait and see on, on the outcome. And, uh, and maybe we'll be sat here. Uh, end of this year thinking well it yeah. turned out okay the, the top of that division though is very very good I was remembering that last season Mike you did um, the top 50 players from the championship for the yeah. Total RL website and I was having a look at that the other day mm-hmm. I think all of those 50 could go into Super League and do a job yeah. they're, they're all you know the, the, the old system the three eights it led to a stockpiling of very good players in the top of the championship and when, when Lee finished six we then saw a few of their players go into Super League and mm. just walk straight in like they belong there there's a lot of very good talent and you know they deserve something like this, I think, chance to get to play at Wembley. But in, in, in rugby league, unlike football, lower division teams just don't get to big finals. It's just, you know. Well, the RFL will certainly be hoping that 
is the case. Well, that because would be, that if, would if, one, be, of, if yeah. one of the Championship or League One teams makes a semi-final of the Challenge Cup, yeah. there is an issue with the scheduling then. I mean, that yeah. that would be the sort of thing that would happen in Rugby League, isn't it, John? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Seems to regularly. Yeah. Well, let's move on. Uh, I think one thing that's come to light in the last couple of days has been the two-referee system, and there is a little bit of uncertainty over this now. Um, it, the job advertisement for the two-referee executive has vanished and no longer seems to be being filled by anyone. Um, the NRL referee, Matt Chechen, he seemingly was a shoo-in for it. He's now returning to the NRL, yeah. so he's not taking it. And all of a sudden, there is now suddenly opposition from certain Super League clubs, despite everyone saying that this was agreed on. Uh, John, another funny old story that seems to take some unforeseen turns. What What's going on here, exactly? I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, it's, it seems like, basically, there was a a strong sort of push for the two ref system, particularly from Robert Elston, but a number of clubs are against it and they seem to have won one sway and we won't see next year. I mean, I'm uh, probably a little bit ambivalent. I think it works really well in the NRL, speeds the game up, um, but in Super League is a different product uh, and I don't think there is the calibre of referees to, to actually have that. I mean, you see that from League One, the Championship and, and Super League, so um, maybe for, for now anyway, it is the right call. Danny, he- if it's going to cost, it's, it's thought that Steve Ganson told the clubs it would cost in the region of £300,000 to bring this in. Uh-huh. Is, is there a better, with where the sport is at, is there places where the money could be better spent than bringing in the two referee system? Uh, I, I'm not, I don't know about that. I'm just telling you that there isn't £300,000 kicking in there. <laughs> what with parachute payments to failed clubs, etc., etc. And I understand the word on the street is that Leeds and Wigan not unsurprisingly, given what we've already discussed about their approach to finances at the moment, uh, we're a little bit resistant to it. You know, I think it's, um, again, it's another it's another example of, of our sport shooting itself in the foot because this should have been thought through, budgeted for and planned and executed. I'm disappointed that Matt Chechen is not refereeing in Super League. He would have been a great addition to the sport. I think that's down to the home office. That's, there, da- that's there not our issues. fault. Well, that that yeah. is not our fault, and yeah. that is you know, and and and, and that place, but that place of the narrative that what influence do we have? Who's lobbying? You yeah. know, I just like Brian Barwick. You know, to to. He's to, a very to, busy man, Danny. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Don't ask too much. <laughs> so, but but the thing is this: so it just you know, oh, yet another one we've kicked ourselves in the shin. But in terms of the two referee system, would it be better? Well, that's what we were looking at. We were having a you know a trial a trial phase, which would not have cost us three hundred thousand pounds. You know, it would have been it would have allowed Matt Chechen to have a look at it. They could have played to its strengths and weaknesses. You'd like to think by the end of the season we'll be in a far greater, stronger financial position anyway, because Mr. Olsen will have brought in lots more commercial partners. You know. So to do it when we've done it, as we've done it, again, just sends out all the wrong signals. Is it better? I'm, I'm not sure it's a better system. I have a, been, I was with a, a friend in Aussie Coach just last week. He's still based in New South Wales, by mm-hmm. the way. And, and he loved the fact that we'd won referee for the World Cup Challenge and he thought, Robert Hicks had a blinder. Mm-hmm. And he says, that's the future. I said, well, save a lot yeah. of money. No, I'm pleased it's not going to happen. Well, it's not going to happen for now. I've never liked the two referee system. Um, I don't like the video referee either, so maybe I'm just old-fashioned. But well, it's one of those you know. we, you've got to try to play devil's advocate. Robert Elston wanted to bring in all these rules that have changed, and I think generally people agree that they've been for oh, the that, better. Yeah, the I think, I think, so I think everything... the benefit of the doubt on the two referees. I don't think he has to that. do this much this soon, though. I think okay. I think what he's done so far has generally worked, and I think people think that you know he's doing a good job so far. But 
no, I, I didn't want to see this happen. Um, I think the the thing with referees though in rugby league is it, it does it does highlight the fact that they've got so much more to do than say a football referee who just sort of you know ambles around blowing for handballs and fouls and they don't really have to do much more than that. In rugby league, the referee really dictates the the, the, the pace of the game. But I'm not someone who wants the game to be as fast as possible. I think Elston has speeded the game up a bit, and I'm happy with that. But I, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to see us go down this route. And like you say, that there aren't the quality of referees here. Well, we, I mean, we've seen Chris Chester this week criticise a referee. But yeah. more to the point, if you do two referees, they all have slightly different interpretations of of incidents, don't they? What happens in the well, rock? So th- does the game then get? Officiated in two different ways. I mean, you, you watch a lot of NRL. You, you'll know that. I think I think it's hard when you don't have a video ref at every game because obviously mm-hmm. in the NRL they have a video ref at every game. They're all mic'd up, so they're getting instruction from the box, from the bunker. Um, in Super League, I don't know. I'm not sure how that would work in a non-televised game without a video referee. So you have the pocket ref, you have a dominant ref who does control, but it does seem to clean the rucks up. There's less of sort of. I, yeah. I agree. I do think that that is one critical part of our game at the minute that does need cleaning up, and that is what two referees would play to. It isn't as though you've got two guys with whistles having a competition with each other. It is about getting all over that rook and making sure that we're not getting situations where, you know, in the in the Wigan Huddersfield, uh, not Wigan, uh, was it? Yeah, Wigan Huddersfield game. You'd guys staying down, sort of looking to the ref. Oh, that was a crusher tackle yeah. ref. Oh, that was a chicken wing ref. You know, I think if you do have the lesser experienced referee, as happens in the NRL, you know, the junior ref, just just a presence at that rook, it, it can't hurt. I just don't want to see suddenly whistle after whistle after whistle because yeah. mm. some kid who really isn't up to mm. it is imagining yeah. offences it's, that really are. Do we need to come up, Richard, with stronger sanctions for players who are, who are seen effectively to be trying to con the referee? I think a lot of coaches and players have come out and said, now, you know who the players are. We can see who they are, but no one wants to call anyone out. Do we need to? Do we need to start throwing the book at these people who are cheating? Well, when the Huddersfield player got caught out a few weeks ago with that dive, Aaron, it was Aaron. Yeah, who, yeah, who, to be yeah, fair yeah. to him, is is yeah, one of the most sort of, honest yeah, players yeah. in the game, and, and it was out of character. But that said, yeah, yeah he got and he got the the book thrown at him and. But surely that needs to be more consistent, doesn't it? Well, yes, it does. But I, it, we, we need to try and stamp it out. But I mean, football's never managed to get on top of diving. Yeah. You know, you can humiliate these guys, you can call them cheats, you can ban them, and yet if push comes to shove, if the game's you know on a knife edge mm-hmm. in a big competition, players will do it. Players will cheat. I think it's different. Not, that football is part of the culture. But I, I think, think it is in rugby league. league. Well, I think it's, it's creeping that way. But I think I think, I think it's, it's, it's probably been there for longer than we'd care to admit. You know, people at, at, at the play the ball pretending they're being held down and oh, I can't get mm. up because they're all it's that's always existed. Mm. You talk um, about being old fashioned. I'm properly old fashioned. I've played <laughs> this game a lot of years, and actually, it's quite it, it's quite unbecoming of what we think our core values as a sport are, of what we're sending out as a message to yeah. kids. Uh, and I do think there needs to be, um, you know, uh, uh, how you do it. I don't know if where a video referee is in play, if he can be having a look and, and, and having a word in the referee's ear. Um, it's a dodgy route to go down. That it's way. a dodgy it's route you, to go that, down, Richard. But if yeah. we, you know, if we seek an improvement and we're not wanting to, yeah. impin- you know, actually change the infrastructure of the game, I do think we need to do something. Yeah. If we're cleaning it up. One crackdown I'd like to see is on coaches who blame referees. I mean, it's just so boring now. I mean, I'm a big fan of Chris Chester and like a lot of neutrals, I'm a big fan of what Wakefield are doing. But what a shame that he came out with those comments. All they had to do was score two tries to beat Hulk KR. Yeah. They've lost two games this season where they had a 12 and a half point um, 
advantage with the bookies. That's their fault. It's not yeah. anybody else's. In fairness to Christoph, you watched that whole interview. He was, you know, he did compliment Hulk It wasn't just the ref was terrible. <clears throat> and I think also, I'm not advocating ref bashing, but I think you've got to allow coaches to be as honest as possible and say what they want to say. You know, if if he goes above the line, then you're fine. Yeah, him. but I think, but, uh, yeah. I, 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 think, I, I just know, we I, want our coaches yeah. to say what they think I, and not sit on the I would just love a coach to come along and say, I'm never going to blame referees. You know, if, if we lose a game, it's because we should have scored another try. I, I'd, like to, see, I'd like to see better. referees put up. And, yeah. Because it doesn't like make any difference. 100%. Well, why yeah. are they put up? I mean, look because, at because, there's a, because there's this protectionist ring about them, you know. They feel the world's against them. Both, it is. Both of them. It, it is. is. See, but, but, so how do you change that, Richard? But see, I would oh, no, change I, I, I You humanise yeah. them. You, I agree with you, that. You give them a personality. I agree with that. You give them a voice. You let, if they want to, if they're comfortable, because not all yeah. of them would be, mm-hmm. but Ben Thaler would, I suspect, James yeah. Child yeah. would. You know, they'd come out and say, listen, this is what I saw, and yeah, that's why yeah, I yeah. called it. Yeah. And once you do that, you take the stick I remember, out I, I, remember the I remember being at a game many years ago. <clears> it was the opening game of the centenary season back in the mid-90s, and there was about eight new rules. To, you know, every season starts mm-hmm. off a load of new rules. So there I was at Workington. It's Workington v Wigan. It's live on Sky. And Stuart Cummins was refereeing, and he got more abuse than I think I've ever seen. And I remember going home that night, watching the video, and thinking, ah, he got every decision correct. Yeah. And from that moment, I've never, I've never been part of a crowd that shouted it because they do get more right than you think. Yeah, well, you know, I agree. I agree. Well, let's wrap that up there. Coming next on Rugby League Backchat, we'll be talking about ongoings in France. It was rather an eventful week there, plus much more Super League and Championship talk right here on Rugby League Backchat. back to the final part of this week's Rugby League Back Chat. We're going to head over to France because, gentlemen, there was some rather interesting activity going on over there this week. We'll start in Perpignan. John, Catalans nil, Salford 46. What on earth happened there? Yeah, that could be the result of the season. I think um, Salford would have gone there confident that, you know, maybe looking to edge a win, but absolutely battered Catalans. Um, just a, a fantastic performance. Jackson Hastings, Jake Bibby, um, Robert Louis, you know, every every Salford player. I think uh, it, it's, it really shows how well they've come on this season. And Ian Watson, just an outstanding coach. Absolutely. I, I think, uh, you know, I don't think we give enough credit to these guys. Uh, and... Ian Watson's one of the proper nice guys in the sport. He's had to work with all the dramas that Salford have had repeatedly over mm-hmm. recent seasons. And, and to reference what we were talking about before, in terms of players who we might not naturally identify as being super elite class, they all look they all look like it when they play like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hastings, you know, what a find that guy has been. And I'm pleased that Salford were able to, you know, lock him up. It's great to see a half that will both take on the line but lay deep. He brings the best out of Robert Louis. You know, and, and, and I just thought it was a delight to see. But conversely, you know, you've got to ask, you know, how is Steve McNamara winding these guys up when they look like they've had a week, a week on the beach? Because you know, they get a great win over Warrington, 
who we all fancy to go there. But then suddenly you've got players of the class of McAlorum and Tompkins, you know, guys who should be natural leaders, uh, just going missing in action. And the fact that Tony Gigo and one or two others might be missing, it isn't enough of an excuse for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but but absolutely, I was delighted for Salford. Richard, look, I think there's a lot of coaches you could look at in Super League, Championship League, one pound for pound doing phenomenal jobs. Is Ian Watson at the top of that list above anyone else with what he's done at Salford given the circumstances and the card he's been dealt with? Basically? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we mentioned Chris Chester before and the job he's done. What they've got in common is that they're both putting winning teams out there without spending money on superstars and being right at the top of the at the salary cap. But we, we know there's a pattern, don't we, that great players don't necessarily make great coaches. Ian Watson was a very talented scrum half, but he, ne- he never played for the big boys. Mm-hmm. And maybe that maybe that's been a good grounding for him. I remember him briefly at Workington. He was he was very good. He played in the Wales team that pushed Australia all the way in that World Cup semi final in two thousand. Wherever he's gone, he's always done a good job. And you know, for as long as he's been at Salford, they've they've always impressed. But it's not just Jackson Hastings though. I mean, he's pound for pound been one of the best overseas signings in Super League. The way that he's improved them. But nine levels, yeah, fantastic. not many better yeah. British fullbacks than him. Um, you mentioned Jake Bibby. Yeah. Mate of mine said he played like Gene Miles. <laughs> I mean, just absolutely unbelievable. You look at his stats. You look at his stats. They were yeah. phenomenal, weren't they? You look, you look at Daryl Alford. Yeah. They plucked him from League One. They, uh, he's he's Watson has put together a very, very good team. And I made the point in part one, uh, well, sorry, about, uh, well, when we talked about Leeds, that you don't just have to go out and sign superstars. Mm-hmm. They've signed players. They, they fit them in there. They, 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 they're just a proper team. And yeah. Ian Watson is an excellent coach. Yeah, because if you look at Gil Dudson, from yeah. Wigan, so we're rele- relegated. Uh, Greg yeah. Burke. Was well, that, that, that team of ex-Wigan players I read out. There's a few, few on there. Yeah, we've got a few ex-Saints players as well. As yeah. as for Catalans, John. Look again. It, we, it seems a bit daft trying to make too much out of anything after five rounds, but to lose forty-six nil on that's very out of character. And given the spending that's going on, I would love to know who deals with their contracts because they need a pay rise. We're getting Sam Cassiano under their salary cap, but they. It's a little bit concerning that you've got players like Sam Tompkins in that side and he's on the receiving end of a result like that. They were supposed to be going in to ensure that soft underbelly that's been there for years wasn't there anymore. They are the ultimate yo-yo team and I think in terms of the salary cap, I think the beauty they have is the taxes are a lot lower in France so it's quite appealing. Players earn more through that way and also a lot of those French local players are on very small contracts so they can throw big money at players from the NRL but... Yeah, they're trying to change the culture, particularly with that sort of Wigan core of McAlorum, Smith and Tompkins. It's going to take time. I think they're still they're still one of those teams that has the potential to be a top five team, but there is no guarantees because they just can't string it together week after week. Yeah, I, I'd like to see, first of all, the calculator they use for their exchange rates between what they're paying on the salaries, because I do think it raises a few eyebrows. Um, and I'm not sure how live a French salary cap can be under a yeah. British system. But they, they've taken a big risk, though, haven't they, by winning the Challenge Cup, but then changing all the, the spine of the team. Yeah, yeah but it's... Yeah, the the decision them all. not that's, to resolve but, Josh Yeah, that, that is a big... But to go back to that, they had that purple patch of about four or five weeks, didn't they, last mm-hmm. year, Catalans. They were poor oh, before that's true. that. That's true, and, the, yeah. and they were lousy after yeah. it. And they and really got and, relegated the year before. And, and it does ask... It, 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 I think it does speak to the culture of the club, and, and I'm, and I'm, you know, they've never travelled well, particularly. But to, but you've always expected something better out of them at home. To see, yeah. so to see a collapse of, of that magnitude, I think, yeah. was to was to ask questions about what's going on 
behind the scene because mm. we talk about Sam Tompkins with all his experience in leadership mm. and there was one instance late in that game and okay the, the, the game had gone but when the guy's running around to go dot the ball down behind the sticks and Sam doesn't bother keeping him 15, 20 yards out he's turning his back and he's having a go at guys I don't think that that is professional if I'm honest mm -hmm. Well we'll go back to Super League in just a minute but while we're in France Toulouse inflicted the first defeat of the season yeah, on Toronto. It brilliant. wasn't just a defeat, it was a hammer in front of 6,000 people as well. John, that was some day and some result for Toulouse. Yeah, it was. I think uh, Toulouse are, an, are another team that you, you they probably didn't start the season too well, but they, they can beat anyone on their day. And I think people saying that Toronto wouldn't lose a game this season was a bit of a, a, bit of a joke, really. I mean, I don't think they're that far ahead of the opposition. But great to see Toulouse pulling that sort of crowd. I mean, they've got some issues with their with the home stadium. They're playing at mm -hmm. a rugby union stadium. I don't know if that's a vehicle for them in the future. But for me, I think long term we have to get Toulouse in the Super League. Two French teams, you know, to have a real mm -hmm. Catalans Toulouse derby would be the way forward. They yeah. they need they need to get the ground sorted, don't they? I think everyone agrees yeah. with that. But certainly, they they do seem to do a lot of things right. And if they're attracting crowds of six hundred, Richard, that that's naturally one of the box ticks that everyone looks for in this sport, what the attendances are. So yeah. they seem to be on the right track. I didn't expect a result like that. It was similar with the 46 points, you know, what, what mm -hmm. Catalan's conceded. I mean, well, one, one of my, judging by the match reports, uh, one of my favourite players, Tyler Heppy, he came off the bench, turned the game. I think that was the League Express game changer. Mm -hmm. Tyler Heppy coming on, making a few breaks, setting up a few tries. He's a brilliant player. Um, you, look, you look through their team, They've got a lot of very good players in there. Mm -hmm. I'd like to see them both. I, th I think if we, if, if in, in an ideal world, if we could have a fourteen-team Super League, the current twelve, those oh, two. They're, they're, let's that, not that get too wishful. I think one thing, yeah, Toulouse have always had that kind of a performance in them, and I think the, the main thing to take out of it is the fact that it does bring Toronto back a little bit to the field. It does kind of, you know, give hope for a more competitive championship season. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of two French teams in Super League. I'm less convinced of that. I'd, um, I, I, I would like to see Toronto in there in terms of making the sport generally more marketable. Mm -hmm. I, I still to this day don't see what added value Catalans have really brought to the comp. Um, so I'm not sure that you could make an argument for Toulouse doing so. Mm -hmm. That All of that said, if we have a fair and equitable system of promotion and relegation yeah. and the 14-team Super League, these, you know, may the best teams and the best candidates win. But of course, I think that we we keep dragging this one out. But I'd like to see where New York, New Jersey, for instance, fit into that mix. Again, don't get too all, wishful. If at all, you know. But um, yeah. But we're talking about growing the sport. We're talking about dwindling numbers. We're talking about giving people something to market. Yeah. yeah? Um, that can't come. I, I enough, can't wait for well, the top five. The chat. The, the championship great. top five playoffs. There was a danger when you think maybe Toronto will have it all their own way, and maybe they still will. Still got to win a grand final. No. One-off game. Just sure. on Toronto, though, I think Dewsbury really gave them a lesson the week before. They were so unlucky not to win yeah. that game, yeah. Dewsbury, and yeah. I think that sort of showed that they are beatable when everyone else is. Yeah. Well, that, that will be the measure. That will be the measure of Brian McDermott's yeah. qualities as a coach. If, if if he can lift what is absolutely the the you know the the marquee squad mm. in the competition, but you've still got to, as we saw with Catalans, you've still got to get those guys to turn up. And, and put their game ahead on and I'm not sure mm -hmm. that every coach can do that as well as for instance Chris Chester or Ian Watson You mentioned you mentioned the Dewsbury game they scraped past Dewsbury they only just beat Lee mm -hmm. I think they beat Lee by six points the York game was, was very tight I think it was 6-0 after 68 minutes they, other than Rochdale they've not trampled over anyone yet now 
you look at the signings they made. Ricky Lee Telly was a was a big name. They brought Darcy Lussick in mid season. Early days, I know, but have they improved? I think I think what McDermott has done, he's made them a lot tougher defensively. Obviously, mm. under um, name escapes Paul Rowley, Paul Rowley, the previous coach, um, they were very good at you know throwing the ball around from everywhere. But they had that sort of inherent grubbiness. Mm-hmm. You know, they would lose their heads, and that ultimately cost them discipline in the million pound game and at the end of the season last year. So I think what McDermott has done is cut a lot of that out, made them a lot tougher, more disciplined side, and I think that will pay dividends long long term. Danny, before we move on, I just want to pick up on what you said about Catalans and what they bring to spot. Just to expand on that, you don't seem to you don't think that they they bring a, a great deal. I, I, it isn't that. I, I, I mean, we saw what they cost the sport at the with the attendance at Wembley last year. That's always a factor that you've got to weigh in. I just think that uh, if you look at attendances, it's a lovely weekend away. It's Perpignan, you know, recommend it to everybody. I just think that in terms of, you know, the added value that we think an international aspect to the yeah. the sport is, I don't, no, I'm not sure that's ever been turned into whether it's be pounds or euros. I'm not sure that Catalans at that level have contributed as much as we hoped they would. Richard, would you agree with that? Um, I was a big fan of them in their early days, but one thing they haven't done is is their presence hasn't improved the French national team. They've been pretty embarrassing for too long now. But I do think you need a second team in there to do that, otherwise the French national team just becomes Catalan Dragons plus yep. a handful of championship or French elite championship players. And I think if the French national team then had a, a, a Super League Toulouse team to to choose from, then they suddenly become a different proposition and then they potentially give England or Great Britain a really good mid-season fixture, which which the sport hasn't had for a long time. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to quickly come back to you because the World Cup, if we just touch on this quickly, Workington, and there is, John Dutton's confirmed, there is a contingency plan in place should that stadium uh, not be ready. I know it's an area close to your heart, Richard. Uh, what what's Is that a concern, the fact that they've had to put a contingency in place, the stadium... Uh, they haven't started working on it just yet, have they? So, what, what's the is, well, is think, the concern up in Cumbria? I, I think it would be mad if there wasn't a contingency plan in mm-hmm. place because I mean the stadium hasn't been built yet, so I think the World Cup would have to have a contingency plan. Yeah. You know, just because he, he says John Dutton says in 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 the article in League Express, you know, if the absolute worst happens, then then good on him. You know, you have to have a plan in place. But as far as I'm aware, it's at the uh, it's at the planning stage. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think they're behind any schedule or anything <coughs> like that. So I don't, I don't think there's a problem. Would it be a blow if there wasn't a game in Cumbria in 2021, Danny? Yeah, I think it would because we, you know uh, when you look at what we had with that that memorable Scotland New Zealand yeah. game up there, you know when when it felt like half yeah. of Cumbria came out for it. It's an event, and 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 there's no getting away from the passion. And the commitment of Cumbrian fans, and I know whether it's Dr. Kukash or whomever going on about the potential of a, a Super League Cumbrian side. I don't think we'll ever see it personally, but you can't get away from what that what that area means to the sport, and it does deserve representation on the biggest stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone agree. Yeah, excellent. Well, just to wrap up very finally, we don't have a lot of time left, but I just want to touch on the Lions a little bit. Um, a lot's been said this week about. It being called the Lions and not uh, Great Britain and Ireland, but more to the point, Wayne Bennett's the head coach, he's the England head coach, and there's been some criticism of that uh, because he's naturally looking at 2021 and, and what England can do in that. Is there a concern that this is going to be England wearing a different jersey, John? Uh, I think there is concern, but um, I think probably the Wayne appointment probably comes down to more. He's already contracted the RFL, they don't have to throw out another wage. Okay. 
they don't have a lot of money to spend. But in terms of selection, I mean, I think you look at the, the Six Nations on the weekend, England rugby union team, I think they had you know, a couple of Samoans, a few Kiwis, a Tong and a Fijian winger that everyone was raving about. This is modern sport these days. And I think sometimes in rugby league, people get a little bit too precious. Gary Schofield, for one, about it. Um, yeah, that's just my opinion. But um, yeah, I, I think it will be England dominated, but we will see a couple of players from... I thought Ben Flower's comments in League Express were were very interesting because he basically said that since Great Britain was scrapped, the Wales, Scotland and Ireland lads have had all the good fixtures taken away from them. Mm -hmm. And of course, when Great Britain was scrapped back in 2007, we we had a period of a few years where all the best players from Scotland, Ireland, Wales then Mm -hmm. defected to England. So obviously England have stockpiled all the best players. That was always going to happen. If you go back to the 2000 World Cup and then the, the Great Britain games that followed in 01 and 02, half the Great Britain players had played for Ireland or, or yeah. Wales in the 2000s. So that, that's when the system worked. If we bring back Great Britain full time, which I'm adamant we should do, then we can make Scotland, Ireland and Wales much stronger. Yeah. But, but, but Danny, I mean, look, I, I take the point, but if you look at the players who were who were being talked about as being in contention. Justin Holbrook said Morgan Knowles should be in contention. Look, he's from Cumbria. Um, <laughs> Lachlan, well, Lachlan, it, Lachlan Coote is from Australia. Yeah, you know, I, I grew up with Danny Bruff's mum and dad <laughs> in Dewsbury. Uh, he he and, was and, screwed uh, over more than anybody and, when and Great Britain was scrapped. Absolutely, he should have been, yeah. Uh, he's uh, Danny McBruff, yeah. <laughs> Listen, I think there will be, I think there will be a, 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 a an element of artifice about the construct of the squad mm. because there will have to be. Because if we are going to be committed to the Lions, and I'm absolutely 100% with Richard, you know, I don't think this is a Lions tour, by the way. I think it's just a way of getting the jersey out there. But I'm whatever it takes for me, so I'm, I'm, I'm with that. But if it does mean that we have to, there has to be a, a nod of tokenism towards the makeup of the squad, well, then actually I can swallow that too because I think the bigger picture deserves it. But nobody wants to be selected, though, just because they're a certain well, nationality. Well, but, 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 yeah, exactly. But, but yeah, who's, yeah. you know, <laughs> you know, Kane Linnett, you know. Yeah. Is it, but da- in, Danny Bruff would still be, at the end of the season, off, he yeah. might have led Wakefield into the top floor and as old, yeah. uh, into the top four, and as old as Danny is, on his day, yeah. he's as good as anybody in oh, the a game. A few years ago, if we kept Great Britain, we would have had Danny Bruff and Lee Brears as the halfbacks yeah. in the finals we played against Australia in 2009 and, and 2011. But, the, but they were never good enough to make it for England. So it does come down we to don't personality. don't going to be fit at the end of the year. Yeah. Either. I mean, you look at England last year, Richie Myler played for England, probably the seventh, eighth choice halfback. Would you have picked Danny Bruff? I think most people would yeah. have. We'll, yeah. we'll have to end the debate there, I'm afraid, gents, because we've just run out of time. That is pretty much all we've got time for on this week's Rugby League Back Chat. Don't forget, you can get all the information for everything that's happening on this channel by simply going to www.3sports.tv. Thanks to all of our guests. Don't forget, we'll be back next week for another edition of Rugby League Back Chat. Bye-bye for now.